0: Love TALK RADIO
1: Happy Holidays everyone, Columbus Day You know, for those who actually celebrate it, I'm not gonna pretend like we don't know what it is though But this is the Car Session Sports Report Not the Car Sessions Political Report And I am your host Javi And I'm here, I'm doing it a little bit earlier today Because I'm off from work So I don't have to worry about doing it At the usual 7 o'clock time I felt like, you know why wait to give y'all what I gotta get off my chest, you know, so I'm here, what's good, uh, let's get right into it, man, Tom Brady is back, let me set the mood. pardon me, Tom Brady is back, the man himself, the myth, the legend, the greatest to ever do it, yeah, better, he's greater, he's greater than Joe Montana, come on now, why are we even playing this game? Came back and did what he felt that he would do coming into this game. So the question is, what do you mean? What we expected him to do? We expected Tom Brady against the Cleveland Browns. It's almost like fate would have it. You know, Marcus is saying the same thing with the football guards last week that he will come and make his triumphant return against one of the worst teams in the league. And boy, did he treat them like the worst teams that they are. 400 yards passing, Three touchdown passes. Highlights everywhere. Chris Hogan looking like a stud. Martellus Bennett looking like a stud. Gronk looking like Gronk. Only person who didn't really show out was Julian Edelman. But, you know, such is life. You know, when you have a quarterback who's trying to get back into the flow of things, get back into the swing of things, Somebody was going to suffer. He still had about, what, I think five catches or seven catches somewhere. The yards weren't there, though. But it is what it is. When you when you factor it all into play, everyone got to see the ball. They took advantage of a shoddy Browns defense. And you know what? I got to tell you, I am happy. I am extremely happy to see the big man, the big dog, Tom Brady, come back. Because as I've been saying here for weeks, the fact that you guys in the NFL allowed the Patriots to go three and one, even though I called they would go three and one. But you know, at the same time, the game still had to be played. And the fact that they went out there and went three and one. You guys are in trouble. Tom Brady doesn't care. He's not he's not four time champion, Tom Brady.
0: He is hungry.
1: I wanna punch Roger Goodell in the face, Tom Brady. That's that's <laughs> Y'all need to be concerned about this man. So now my question is about going forward who's going to be the team that steps up who's going to be the team that derails the Patriots because if they could go three and one and beat some legitimate teams along the way in dominating fashion without Brady without Gronk who's going to be the team to beat a fully stocked and healthy New England Patriots team we got a taste we got an idea the past four weeks of who could be that team. I think that team resides in Pittsburgh. I think that team resides in Denver, even with a minus quarterback, because they won a title with a minus quarterback last year, so you can't use that argument. I think those those are the two teams in particular that provide the greatest test for the New England Patriots. Now, my issue with the Year in and year out High powered offices Find ways to get stifled Yes, they find ways To get stifled By Bill Belichick Now that y'all gonna say Bill Belichick He schemes, he schemes, he schemes Yo, you're absolutely right He does scheme But I feel as though Those great offices And the minds behind those offices Kinda get in their own way And allow Bill Belichick The Jedi mind trick them into to do something That they're not accustomed to doing To try to go away From what they normally do Because they expect the Patriots take away what they normally do. So that being said, if the Pittsburgh Steelers and that vaunted offense can continue to do what they do, and don't change them what they what they do when they see the Patriots in two weeks, and when they see the Patriots possibly down the line in the playoffs, if they can keep doing what they do, they have a legitimate shot here. The question now becomes, what will their defense do to stop Brady? And that's why I don't have them as the number one team. I have them as the number two team because if they, if the offense is clicking, they put up 45, I'm not sure if Brady can put up the 46 to beat them. You know, I'm not sure. I can't say. But the team that I think still has the greatest opportunity to deal with the Patriots resides in Denver. Because at the end of the day, yeah, Denver, they lost yesterday. We're going to talk about the Falcons in a second. But you know what? It's a 16-game season. You know, with the exception of the anomaly that was the old 7 Patriots, nobody's going undefeated. Losses are going to happen. But that Denver defense does one thing that completely neutralizes anything the New England Patriots would like to do offensively. I was saying the last night on the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge podcast, the homeboy William Martin had me on for a segment,
0: and I said to him,
1: you can't try to zone up that Patriots offense because they're going to find ways to carve you up. I don't think you can play man against that offense because they'll carve you up. The best way to deal with the Patriots and the offense is to get after the quarterback, and who does it better than the Denver Broncos with the best defensive player, Von, Von excuse me, Von Miller on the end. Von Miller blitzing off the edge, coming off the edge, getting in Brady's face. Demarcus Ware went healthy on the other side, getting in Brady's face.
0: Them boys are in trouble.
1: I don't. I. I, I the Patriots learned anything from the AFC championship game a year ago. We saw what happened a year ago. Yeah, Brady didn't bring him down the field. Brady did that. Yeah, absolutely. But Brady's uniform was as dirty as I remember it being outside of the first Super Bowl game against the New York Giants. That uniform was dirty. Why was that uniform dirty? Because he was under duress. He was the pedestrians in Spain when they let the Bulls out. They were coming after Brady in that AFC championship game. And most of the players from that team are back. The secondary, to Tlaib is still a monster. So you know he's gonna, whoever he's defending, he's gonna do his part. If Vaughn Miller and those boys get after him, I, I can't say that I don't see an outcome any different from what we saw last year. Because at the end of the day, the one way to neutralize the New England Patriots is to get after Brady. So while I'm all in on Tom Brady, I'm all in on the New England Patriots in the AFC. Right now, I have them at fourteen and two to end the season, because again, if you had the nerve to allow them to win three games without Brady, what are you going to do with them back, and Gronk wasn't healthy, what are you going to do now that he's healthy, and Martellus Bennett, what you have now is the perfect summation of what they were trying to do a few years ago when you had Hernandez and Gronk, you got Edelman there, Chris Hogan looking like something, surprisingly, still have daddy danny who who's good for a player two in every big game they have all their pieces they have dion lewis coming off the injured the pup list real soon but garrett blood's playing as good as he has ever played as a professional you guys are in trouble this is a 14-2 team belichick is out for blood grady wants to snuff he wants to snuff roger goodell on the podium at the Super Bowl when he's handed in the trophy and the Super Bowl MVP trophy. He wants to scrap it out with him right then and there. Because at the end of the day, we talked about the Flaygate ad nauseam. The Flaygate became more and more less about the footballs and more about personal beef. Tom Brady wanted to show that Roger Goodell was exceeding his reach, and Roger Goodell wanted to show Brady that my reach, there is no excess. To my reach. I do what I wanna do. Really and truly, I like to use wrestling analogies on car sessions. Those guys need to meet up at WrestleMania too. Telling me that tell me I wouldn't be the greatest car in the main event. You got Odell versus Norman and in the co-main event, Brady versus Goodell. I'd buy that. I'd definitely buy that. Who wouldn't buy that? I don't know. Let me know. Huh? But anyway, enough about the Patriots. I got him at 14-2. and two. I think the Steelers and the Broncos are the teams that have the best chance of knocking them off that pedestal. But the team that I just mentioned a second ago, the Atlanta Falcons, they went into Denver. Hey, I want to say, you know, Denver made it a game. Denver made it an illegitimate game, but let's call it what it is, man. It dominated. If you disagree, I don't know what to tell you, bro. They went in there, did what they needed to do. Offensively, I saw from the get set, they established both running backs, Coleman and Devontae Freeman. Matt Ryan seemed, for the most part, comfortable. He didn't seem like someone who was overtly concerned about anything that was coming in his way in terms of that that vaunted Denver pass rush. So, that being said, we got to put some respect on the Falcons' name. It's time. No, seriously, it's time. And you know what? And I'm not above it because I didn't have I didn't have much respect for them in the offseason. I thought they would be a regular, regular, average NFC team. But at four and one, impressive win last week against. They, in, in consecutive weeks, they played both Super Bowl participants, and they've won in an impressive fashion. In consecutive weeks, one at home and one on the road. They went into New Orleans, which is always a tough place to play. Won that game too. 4-1 right now. They wanted an array of ways. Matty Ice is looking like money right now. I think I did say during the preseason that if the Falcons would be anything, it would be on the shoulders of Matt Ryan because it is a quarterback's league. It's a quarterback's league. I'm stating the obvious, but I have to state the obvious because a lot of people want to talk about defense. They want to talk about this. They want to talk about that. It's defense... Doing what defenses do more often than not, all right, that's great. That's very great. But when it's all said and done, 89 to 92% of the time in the current NFL, it's all about what the offense is doing to win this championship in a defense bending but not breaking. Right? You have the Seahawks, you have the Broncos. But outside of the Seahawks and the Broncos of recent memory, look at the offenses that won those championships. Right? I'm just saying, I ain't, I ain't trying to argue with you. I'm just telling you what's happening out here. But the Falcons, bruh, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to be legitimately concerned about the NFC when it comes to the Falcons. You have the Vikings out there too. What is it, 1998? Fight <laughs> Falcons and Vikings all of a sudden on a collision course for the NFC Championship game. About to be the Dirty Bird in overtime or what? But my whole thing about the Falcons is this. They don't play not, they don't play elite defense. I'm not going to fool myself into thinking that these guys are world beaters on the defensive side of the football. But these guys play strong defense. Another thing to take note of. They've played three road games within the first five games of this season. they won all three of them. So you know what that tells me? That tells, that tells me that their game travels. Their game travels wherever they need it to travel. That is a big component of success in sports. Forget just the NFL. In sports, all the championship teams don't adjust their game when they're on a road. Their game, they play their game regardless of what the floor says or what the field says. They gonna play what they do. You understand what I'm saying? That's very impressive for me. Very
0: impressive.
1: Look at how, like, you, you saw it, you know, projecting. How are you going to defend the Falcons? You have two legitimate stud running backs. Studs? Tepper Coleman's a stud, guys. If, if you're not willing to give him that status, I'm going to give it to him. Tepper Coleman is, a, is definitely a stud. Devontae Freeman was a stud a year ago. We saw what he was capable of. Julio Jones is a, is a, is a he's beyond stud. He's Super Saiyan level four stud. Like, he's past all of that. piling up will they be able to, will they be able to sustain that's what I'm concerned about can they sustain this run that they're on I'm not necessarily sure just because they are the Falcons and their history says that they're due to fall off for a second I'm just saying y'all I don't, I don't want to sound like a hater but I'm just saying I like them I believe that this team has postseason written all over them and I want to see them continue to do so. I want to see them continue to push forward. I like a good surprise. I didn't have them do it much. They do it more than I expected. And I just want to see that when they get punched in the mouth, because we've seen in the past with this same group of guys for the most part, in terms of the, the, the signature players, Julio Jones, Matty Eyes, Roddy White, etc. We've seen in the past when they get hit in the mouth, they don't respond well to that. But they're going to get hit in the mouth at some point, and if they survive that punch to the face, this team is legit. They're, you still got the Seahawks out there who, who are looking like the Seahawks of old. The Vikings. Oof, that defense. The Vikings look like the NFC version of the Broncos from a year ago. With a better quarterback. But the Falcons, man, I think we might be on a something with this team. I think, I think we might legitimately be on a something with this team. Dallas Cowboys, bro. I want to have a real conversation with y'all real quick. Real, real talk. Real talk time on car sessions. So I'm seeing things here about Tony Romo. He's going to get his job back once he's healthy. That's the word here. That's the word around town gonna get his job back when he's healthy. The first question I have for everyone involved. When has Tony Romo been healthy the past three or four seasons? I, I feel like when they say when healthy, they need to say something different when it comes to Tony Romo. They should say when he's good enough to go. I still feel like up until Back issue of the preseason I was one of, the, one of the people In the forefront Saying that I felt like The injury concerns With Roman were overstated I felt he was more victim of bad luck As opposed to injury prone But I had to eat that Because once again It was almost like Two days after I said it I think TJ I'm going to ask him later But two days after I said it Broke his back Broke a vertebrae in his back So I was like Here I go Spouting off at the mouth Saying that it's overstated and he had bad luck and then he goes and gets hurt again he, even if it is bad luck you know, if your body is brittle your body is brittle right so when the talk of when healthy Tony Romo never going to be healthy he's going to be good enough to go I wanted to get that out of the way to start but my real issue the real conversation I want to have with y'all right now is this whole talk about Dak Prescott going back to the backup job once Romo is good enough to go My issue is Why would Romo even Get that job back You have a rookie quarterback Who's developing chemistry with this team Rookie running back Who was establishing himself in this league You got a good thing going Why mess with that Why Seriously Why would you mess with that I have the answer As to why you would mess with that people Cowboys fans in particular, the answer is Jerry Jones. The reason why the Cowboys have been stuck in the doldrums, they've been stuck in purgatory for so long, is because of Jerry Jones. You know what I mean? I know you don't want to hear that. I don't. I'm not trying to come off as a cowboy basher because it seems like that's the hip thing to do these days is bash the Cowboys. But really and truly. He's the issue. Think about this. Anytime a player is hurt for the Cowboys and they do an injury report about them, you'll read one thing saying this player is out for X amount of time. Then they ask Jerry Jones how long he'll be out. Jerry Jones, like, oh, he'll be fine. He'll be ready for next week. He's always fronting. He's always keeping up appearances. If it's one thing that I don't like, it's a person who has to keep up appearances. Appearances can be deceiving and appearances when it comes to the Cowboys has been deceiving for about three to four years they had a great year two years ago you know the catch that wasn't ruined the opportunity for them to go to the NFC Championship game but beyond that what, what have the Cowboys done let's really talk about it guys what have they done so now we go back to this point where he is saying that Romo will get his job back same guy who wanted to draft Johnny Manziel, the same guy who has done so many questionable things with this organization, going back to letting Jimmy Johnson go after a second Super Bowl, let's let's, let's, let's do the history, you know, Jerry Jones has been everything that's been wrong with the Cowboys from day one, he wanted more credit than he deserved for everything that went right, and he doesn't want to take the credit for everything that's gone wrong since then. So, his blind loyalty to Tony Romo is going to get in the way of Cowboys success again. Because y'all Cowboys fans, y'all know, the day that Tony Romo goes back under the center for the Dallas Cowboys, the momentum and the positive energy that you guys are building up right now,
0: it's going to take a hit. It's
1: going to take a hit. Yeah, I don't need Tony Romo. Let's be honest about that defense has been as good as it's been in a few years fair is fair let's call it what it is defense is pretty valid the offense isn't bad it's not like they are, they're they're yearning for romo the only person who suffers and romo doesn't play is Dez. the other guys see the ball and, and you know, truth be told as long as Dak prescott continues to improve as a quarterback There's a brand to be more of a factor. But you have this owner who constantly thinks he's doing the right thing. But it's really the wrong thing. How many times can you make the wrong decision? You had to get damn near draped up by your son to stop you from drafting Johnny Manziel. Think about that. The Cowboys wouldn't have the vaunted O-line that they have right now. If it wasn't for Jerry Jones' boy. And not him, himself. But he'll take all the credit for this vaunted O-line. He'll take all the credit for it. Cowboys fans, if you want your team to return to consistent prominence and not an occasional tease of good things to come you need to start a revolt against the owner he's never going to sell the team but he needs to get out of day to day operations. he needs to be pushed to the back room he needs to be pushed to an owner's box and just be that, the owner stay out of the way this should not be a Romo return to Dallas as a starting quarterback Dak Prescott Dak Prescott should be allowed to grow in that position I was putting Prescott and should together and got press shot <laughs> I'm not perfect here but Prescott should be allowed to grow in that position because he's only gonna get better and if I'm a Cowboy fan you guys need to start chirping real loud about Jerry Jones' position within that team he needs to just be an owner let the coach coach, and quite frankly, if you push Jerry Jones out of the way, as an owner, I'll get rid of the Jason Garrett coach too, because he's just a puppet. He's not allowed to do anything. You know, he, you know, a little game planning here and there. Yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. But I'm pretty sure for the job he's doing right now, one of the coordinators could do it. No. 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 Seriously, I'm just asking the question here. Yeah, Coordinators could do his job. The coordinators could definitely do his job. The Cowboy Nation, start the revolt now. Find a way to get Jerry Jones out of your day-to-day operations, and you will be fine. I'm a Giants fan, saying that. you will be fine. But the day Romo becomes quarterback, trouble—big trouble in Dallas. Big trouble in Dallas, y'all. Staying in the NFC East, the Redskins won three straight. So all you panicking and fans out there who's ready to drive Kirk Cousins to the airport, never to see him again. You guys can relax at least for, I don't know, a week or two. You know, I'm not going to take back any of the bad things I said about Mr. Gruden. I still think he's a terrible coach. I just think that right now, it's just part of the ebbs and flows, the peaks and valleys of an NFL season. Right now, they're at another peak, but the valley is coming soon. You know, they, 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 they ran into team that left a lot on the field another one of their wins was against my Giants and really and truly we handed in that game especially Eli Manning more him in the second and then last week they were in a bit of a ball game with one of the worst teams in the league in Baltimore so yes they did win three in a row and you can only play who you're supposed to play and you still have to win the games but when you break down the game and you really look at what's going on this team is still not very good and, and that valley is coming peaks and valleys of the NFL season and that valley is coming. The Oakland Raiders. Man. <laughs> Oakland. It seems like Oakland playing the most exciting game every week. Raider Dre right now is enjoying himself. But again, my issue with the Raiders is this. They don't play much defense. That's going to come back to bite you. Their offense. Their offense is going to play in any arena. Their offense travels. One half of their game travels, but until they get that defense up, to, up to par, I can't really say that I have a lot of faith in this team doing big things. But they're going to be a team that's going to be in the discussion all year round. They might be an AFC playoff team. I'll say that much. They might just be an AFC playoff team, but I feel like their defense is going to stop them from being elite. And finally, let's talk about my New York Giants. Gotta get, gotta get that. In. Odell Beckham, as expected. He was on his best behavior. If anybody expected Odell Beckham to wild out continuously, you guys drank too much of the Kool Aid. You, you believed too much in what those outlet networks were telling you. And you thought that he was legitimately a bad guy. He's just emotional. He went out there, played his game, he did what he was supposed to do. Now, what we need to worry about is the Giants' right tackle or left tackle. Eric Flowers out here assaulting <laughs> reporters. Let me, right, me now put that on them. Shoving a, a reporter after the game. You gotta you got understand something here. You play professional sports. B writers have a job to do. If you suck, a B writer is gonna say that you suck. If you do well, a B writer is gonna say that you do well.
0: You can't go out here
1: pushing a reporter because he says that you suck. And and rightfully so, you do suck, Mr. Flowers. I can't really say I can't really say that I fault the reporter for saying anything that they said about you. I can't fault Chris Collinsworth for saying what he said about you, me, that you're the king of holding. You are the king of holding. Right now, I don't know what happened in the off season, but you've taken a giant leap backwards. I had a lot of respect for you a year ago. You had a bad ankle. You continued to play on it. And you, and you had some decent moments. You showed flashes of being something really good. But I don't know if you if you read your press clippings too much. You started to believe your own hype. You didn't put the work in. Or you weren't able to because the ankle injury was more than what you let it on to believe. Let us on to believe, excuse me. But you can't go out here... Push your reporters because they say that you're trash What you need to do Mr. Flowers Is get your game up bro You got drafted in the first round Of shine, bro Not to push You need to You need to push defensive the ends the, the way you push that reporter <laughs> You know what I mean you would be better off for it You will be better off For it If you push that reporter If you push the end the way you push that reporter but you know what? I'm going to lay off you because I know that the, the media cycle is coming. Last week Odell Beckham, this week is going to be Eric Flowers getting a wash and rinse treatment by the media types all across America. Eli Manning might damn near be finished though. I'm going to say that much. He might damn near be finished. I don't I don't I, 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 I want to say that his performance so far has been a product of a disjointed offense and, and Team. The team is trying to find their way under the new head coach, but you're missing throws all over the place. Last week, you played like you were scared to get hit against the Vikings, throwing the ball into the ground every time they breathe too hard on you. You're throwing puzzling interceptions the week before when the linebacker was all oh, damn near in front of your face. Eli is starting to of look like one of those old quarterbacks who's getting jittery, and, and he's not in his zone, he's not in his pocket. And you can tell by the way he's throwing the ball right now that he's not comfortable. I don't know if it's the years of getting hit, catching up to him, the years of watching what happened to his brother Peyton with the neck issues after years of Peyton getting hit, and he's more concerned about his physical being as opposed to being a top-notch quarterback. But I'll say this. If that's what you're afraid of, Eli, if you're afraid that your offensive line is shaky, and you don't want to get killed out here. Invest in the Peyton Manning take a sack plan. Yes, I'm bringing that back. You watched your brother play his whole career. Your brother made it, Made it, his own, it was so funny. But he, he, he made a career, especially the late portion of his career, not a whole career, but he made the late portion of his career out of taking sacks. If that rush is coming at Peyton too fast, and I've spoken about this in the past, he would just fall down, he would damn near just turn like he'd be like a human loaf. He would just tip over and go on the ground. And take a sack. He wouldn't have to get hit, he wouldn't have to get mollywapped, he would just fall down and touch him down is over. So if you if you're worried about that, and I told Tony Romo to do the same thing, invest in the Peyton Manning, how to take a sack plan. Just fall down. Fall down, Eli. Because right now, one of my homeboys was saying last night, he looks gunshot. That's the Excuse me, Eli Manning has never been. Eli's never been gunshot. So for so to say he looks gunshot and He's out here looking all jittery, and he does. He does. When you when you're missing throws high all the time, you, you, you're not stepping in, You're not driving the throws like you normally do. You're missing high. You're running for your life. You're looking scared. You're throwing that guy's feet as opposed to hitting them in stride. It's either you're starting to fall off. Oh, you're scared. And you know what? The more I think about it, the more I talk to you guys, I think that he's jittery. He's very jittery. Coach McAdoo needs to do something. And, and and that's the thing that I spoke about. I spoke about it on New York City. I spoke about it on New York City this past Thursday. How do you hire your offensive coordinator as your head coach? You hire an offensive-minded coach as your head coach and your office takes a step back. Is that like... That's like a Jedi mind trick in itself. Like, did Belichick get to him before the season started and, and Jedi mind trick him? Because how do you hire an offensive coach and the offense gets bad all of a sudden? You, you, you got better players. You got an additional receiver. You got back V. Cruz as well as the additional receiver that you drafted. Your running backs aren't half bad. The O-line isn't as bad. They, they're not Dallas' O-line. They, they, the Giants' O-line is about middle. They're a little below middle. They're a little below middle. They're They're not square in the middle, but they're below average. Slightly, slightly, ever so slightly below average. I'll say that. Right? But if your offensive coach's ways and means of you going about that, like a microcosm of what the Giants' problems are right now, is for instance, last night they had a penalty. After they had a successful play, they got called for a hold. They ran a draw play on first and like seventeen because it was half the distance to the goal. When they should have ran a screen play, they ran a screen on second down, but that should have been your first down play. What are you running? Everybody knows the, certain teams, the teams that don't run draws, are the teams that get away were running a draw. Everybody knows that the Giants are running the draw play. It's almost like too much of Tom Coughlin has rubbed off on Magnitude and he's lost his way. His offensive play calling has lost his
0: way. I don't know what
1: happened. I saw a gadget play. They they tried to run a a reverse pass with Odell Beckham. And Odell doesn't throw the ball out of bounds. He just runs out of bounds. But he's not a quarterback. He doesn't have that instinct. But it's like, why are we running gadget plays? The Giants need to be running three to four screens a game. If I'm not mistaken, a lot of people will compare Magnus to an Andy Reid. Andy Reid will screen you to death. And I feel like the Giants... With our pass protection, our general offensive line issues, we don't run enough screens. We don't run enough things to knock the timing off of the teams on the defensive side of the ball who are pinning their ass back and getting after us. You know what I mean? McAdoo needs to find more. I would run three to four screens a game, whether it's two. I, you know, four to four. Call it four. I'd run two screens to the running backs per game. I've, I saw that we, we, we implementing that, but we're not running them at the right time and a couple of bubble screens to either Odell or Sterling Shepherd, make it happen especially Odell Let o- put the ball on Odell's hands and let him do something after the catch we know he's special after the catch and I feel like this way the defenses wouldn't be so eager to rush the passer because you will be knocking the timing off with these screen passes I shouldn't be prognosticating a job all the way in Brooklyn telling an offensive a former offensive offensive coordinator who's now a head coach that you need to you know And match things a little bit, but I'll say this much and I'll be a a positive Giant fan before I go on to the next topic. We saw them start to move Odell Beckham around more. I've been calling for that for the past two weeks, so they're starting to see the errors of their ways. So I expect as the season goes along, yeah, Giants fans need to remember this McAdoo is still a rookie coach, he's still a work in progress. He's gonna get better, he's gonna get better, and the fact that you saw Odell move around that You saw the Giants team fight as bad as it looked. They fought and they had a chance that they could have got one more stop to get the ball back with an opportunity to tie the game. So you see that they're going in the right direction. People who thought the Giants were going to come in with the money they spent on defense to just dominate—that's not the Giants' way. <laughs> but they're progressing in the right direction. Once the coach can see that certain things are wrong and you adjust, and you can visually see them making adjustments, that leads me to believe that we're going to see those screen passes. We're going to see those misdirection plays. We're going to see things that knocks off the timing of the defenses coming after Eli to make things a little bit more easier for Eli. And I'll leave it at this. Do remember, the Giants won on his three-game losing streak mostly because they're not healthy. They lost Vereen. They have to have a shot, Jennings. Eli Apples was in for a couple of plays yesterday. DRC's playing with one leg. Thompson, the rookie free safety, was pretty damn good. He hasn't played. They, they lost a lot of first stringers. Five first stringers I just named right there. Larry deno has been out as well. Six first stringers. So let's be honest about one thing. The Giants are not losing these games because they suck. They're losing right now because they're not healthy and they have a coach who's still learning on the job. So Giants fans, don't fret. It's going to get better. I also saw something last week that made me chuckle a bit in the NBA. I saw that David Blatt accepted his championship ring. I also saw the week prior to that that the Cavaliers offered Anderson Veragel a championship ring. You guys are just trolls I didn't respect you I didn't respect David Blatt the entire time he was there. Yeah beat Anderson Verageal. in in a seven game classic and y'all offer both of them rings so y'all guys taking this trolling thing
0: to a whole other
1: level and then David Black accepts the ring and let me read why he accepts it Cleveland offered and I graciously accepted because they presented it to me in a way that was very respectful the Cavaliers wanted to give me a ring because the organization felt that I contributed to the championship it's not my championship I recognize that but I also feel that I did something there and I graciously accepted it because I was... What? I, it was a grassoir offer. Grassoir? It was a grassoir offer on their part. The, the big thing for me is that I felt that they felt it was earned, not given. Therefore, I was happy to accept. Cool. That I'm about to add that word to my vernacular. Grassoir offer. Oof, I'm about to look that up. I guess it must mean gracious. This Rose off me to talk to Yo. But listen. Y'all got to ch- And he said, oh, yeah, they felt like this. So, boy, stop. Stop. They sh- they-, they basically kicked you out of the, the office. They probably, you- they probably didn't even let you. They probably didn't even let you. They probably didn't even let you finish off the championship, bruh. They probably didn't even let you clean your office. They probably didn't even let you get your itinerary for your flight. They they, they had it waiting for you at the airport. But you accept the championship ring? You offer Anderson Veragile a ring after you beat him in heartbreaking fashion? After you traded him, no less? Are you kidding me or what? Cleveland Cavaliers, bro. Troll champions of the world. He wasn't was, getting me to accept no championship
0: ring. Sheesh.
1: Another thing I peeped in the NBA world, but it doesn't surprise me because I told you guys over the summer to be mindful of all this, this lockout talk that I was talking. And that's the fact that there's been optimism in the past few days that a new CBA will be reached before the deadline. I told you guys that. Everybody was talking all oh, the new contracts, the new contracts, only because they brings so much money. It's going to be a lockout. They can't expect a lockout for something that they were prepared for. When they signed the new TV deal, right? When the new TV deal was signed, it was with the understanding that the salary cap would go up. There was never any surprise that The salary cap bumped up. The higher revenue... The higher revenue from these TV deals... Made it so that there was more money coming in... To where there's more money to pay the players. So, that being said... You guys, sports fans... You know, I keep saying... I I give y'all a hard time because I feel like enough of us... We don't do our own personal homework. We just wait for whatever is being said to us on these networks to be said to us, and then we just take it and run with it without doing our homework. There can't be a lockup for something that was expected. It's not like guys were just throwing money around. The new contract that these players got, all it did was adjust the equivalency. If if the if the salary cap never boosted up. If the salary number, the overall cap number didn't boost up, those contracts would look a lot less. They didn't get paid more because there was more money to spend. It's a certain level of... I spoke about this in the past, but there's a percentage allotted to each contract. All they did was give you the equivalent of what the contract would have been had it been under the old agreement. Before the the salary spike. That's it. So why would they have a lockout for something that they knew would happen? It's not like they don't have the money... The money came from the outside in It's that simple It's not like it's coming out of the owner's pocket The owner has to now be forced to pay more bread The money from the TV deals came in And that money are, is paying the players Or a percentage at least of that money Is paying the players So hearing that Adam Silver is optimistic That a CBA will be reached Doesn't surprise me at all and I'm going to tell you why as well He's not David Stern He's not. He's not old money David Stern comes with a, a, a more forward thinking approach a warmer approach he's a lot cooler about dealing with the players as well he's a lot more aggressive in keeping the brand looking great you saw what happened with Donald Sterling got rid of him i let you know right there that he's all about appearances he want he doesn't want the, the NBA to take any more PR hits and which what, what you have now which is setting up for a a trilogy With the Cavaliers And the Warriors The most eyes have been on the league In a long time as well The last thing they need right now Is a lockout The last thing they need is a, the negative publicity From a lockout They also have to factor this in for, the, for y'all who don't know this A lot of y'all probably don't even know this They moved the NBA logo On the jerseys from the front To the back collar They didn't do that for style purposes They did that because the area where the NBA logo is is going to now be used for sponsors. These sponsors are paying big money to have their logo on these NBA jerseys in that little area on the left side of the jersey. So now if you have a lockout, you're taking games away, that that means that these sponsors who are paying for X amount of games being played, because don't think it's just a $1 figure. They're paying to have that logo shown for at least 82 games a year. Get the maximum exposure. So with more, even more money coming into the league, Adam Silver is going to do what, it's exact, what He's going to do everything that's necessary to make sure that there is no lockout because he can't afford to have a lockout with all this money coming into the league. New TV deal, new sponsorship deals coming in, by a by the millions. Because it's not going to be one set sponsor for all. Each team can get their own sponsor, and that sponsor, I guess, based on your market, is going to be able to throw a certain amount of dollars. And if, and if I'm throwing this amount of dollars I need my sponsorship to be well paid I don't need 60, 60 games I don't need 50 games I need a whole 82 games So all of the, all these forward thinking actions Plays into the fact that Right now the NBA's business model Is as dope as it's looked in a long time And a lockout Is the last thing they need So like I always say just pay attention. Read the tea leaves Do your research And you'll see that ESPN is telling you that it's going to be a locker Because they want you to watch their network So that you keep going to them they, they got the product, they want to keep selling you that product They have to find ways of delivering that product For you to keep coming back to them So that you don't go anywhere else For said product, you understand? Shifting gears Eddie, you know about to do the Eddie second In a second, but before we do that I just want to say that I find it to be Karma, big karma big, big karma that the Toronto Blue Jays swept the Texas Rangers. So some people are going to say it's baseball related, and it might be. It might just be. But when you wait until the very last game, the very last game of the regular season that you would have between each other, and for Roof Net Odor to punch Batista in the face after the pitcher hit Batista, y'all waited to do all of that on the last game of the season, some people think it was a pitcher that punched him in the face. It was the second baseman, Rufnet door that punched him in the face. The pitcher only hit him with the pitch. And Batista was right to get upset because he knew what time it was. He knew what it was. But you could have did that the first time they played in Toronto earlier in the season. Not wait until the seventh time y'all would have played. And y'all would never see each other again unless it was the playoffs. I'm not sure if they were even thinking that far ahead. To do what you did, you deserve to get swept because it was a sucker move by an entire team. Really, Batista took that out. He got duffed out. That's an actual fact. He got duffed out. But the fact remains that his teammates didn't get the proper chance to retaliate because Texas waited until there was the most opportune time to pull the sucker move. And now look, you got swept out by the team that you pulled the sucker move on. You can't tell me that's an accident, bruh. You can't tell me that's the accident. So I just wanted to talk about that. Salute to the Blue Jays. As y'all heard a couple weeks ago, the Blue Jays is a team that I actually like to go to the World Series. I liked them last year. I like them this year as well. They took care of their business. I know Ed. And speaking of that, let's get into Eddie Cigar segment here on Car Session. It's the Eddie Cigarra segment here on the Car Session Sports Report. You see, I promised the sound. We got the Mets chant in the background. Sadly, this might be the last time you hear this chant for a little while. Eddie, welcome back to Car Sessions.
2: Thanks for having me on. <laughs> you already know. tough couple of days, to say the least.
1: Yeah, it has been real tough, real tough, man. You know, you never want to see your team go out the way the Mets went out this past week. Uh... Let's just get right into it, man. How do you feel? I, 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 I'm going to get my opinions across real soon, but I, I I felt like you waited about five days to do this, so I'm going to give you the forum. Go ahead, man. All right.
2: Uh, well, you know, obviously all things considered, you know, them, despite all the injuries, for them, you had a home playoff game. You know, with an opportunity to win an advance The division series against the Cars. I I could, I would have signed up for that back in April. Uh, Obviously, tough pill to swallow. You know, uh, you know, the legend of Madison Bumgarner continues. You know, uh, the last time he was in a wild card game was two years ago against Pittsburgh. Uh, They won eight to nothing, four hit shutout. And what does he do this time around? Uh, Four hit shutout. Giants win three nothing. So it's obviously a tough pill to swallow. you know, obviously, a couple of days to reflect. I mean, you just have to be extremely proud of a guys. They battled. Uh, they just fell a little short, you know? You know, Eddie, I feel like you're being very
1: politically correct right now. You're tippy-toeing around the issue here. We lost the game not more because of what Madison Baumgartner does. We expected that. What we didn't expect was Yeri's Benitez, to show his head in the playoffs once again. <laughs> so seriously, bro, don't give me this whole rhetoric you just gave me. Let's beat, let's be Met fan Eddie, not prognosticator Eddie. How do you feel about that loss, man?
2: I mean, okay, so you don't want me to be politically correct, though. You know, it's easy to point your fingers at, you know, it's easy to point your finger at Jerry's Familiar, you know. the 0-0 game going into the ninth inning, you have the bottom part of the Giants lineup coming up. First batter he faces gets a lead-off double. Um, he eventually, the next batter I believe with Angel Pagan was trying to sacrifice him over to third base, wasn't able to do so, gets a strikeout. Then he walks the seventh-place hitter, and then the most frustrating part about this sequence, which very familiar, he only given up one home run, four feet long, right. for a right-handed batter. It was against Will Myers against the San Diego Padres. He gives up a three-one shot. To the eighth-place hitter, a guy that was not supposed to be in the lineup. The only reason why he was in the lineup was because their starting third baseman, Eduardo Nunez, had a hamstring injury. That's what hurt the most. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy a point of fingers at familiar, but let's, let's also point out fingers that that man often. So, the first three innings against Madison Brookarner, it's a total of 21 pitches.
0: Ridiculous. You
2: know? You know, innings four through six, they made him work a little bit more. But it probably probably a different story if the hitters would have laid off, to, you know, would have laid off the pitches, the pack early in the count. So twenty-one pitches in the first three innings, though, he's probably out of the game in like the seventh inning. Yeah. If, if they could have worked the count early in the game, so yes, in hindsight, but you know, check threw the game, picked the ball,
0: three-one homer.
2: Let's also point our fingers. At Jose Reyes He went 0 for 4 As the catalyst All
0: right.
2: You know went asbestos, You went know, uh, this. You know Obviously our best player You know Second shape
1: goal. Eddie 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 Hold on I gotta, I gotta stop oh. you there I gotta stop you there um, Before we continue I need you to slightly relocate Because you're starting to break up And the people need to hear What you're saying You know what I mean So you gotta take a step To the left or the right But just get into A better service spot um, But while, while While you do that I have to say That I agree which stance about the first three innings in terms of the Mets' offensive approach. I'm not too broken up about that because I understood what they were attempting to do. They wanted to to jump on Bumgarner. A lot of times when you go up against a good starting pitching, or great in this case, you want you want to get him early because late in the game you're not going to get anything to hit. So I guess they, from my perspective, look at they were trying to jump on any mistakes that might be made. Did they do so successfully? Obviously not But that was the approach We're going to try to catch him with a, If he comes in leading off with a fastball We're going to jump on it If he has anything in the zone We're going to jump on it And I believe that that's what they were attempting to do in that regard Did it come back to bite them? Absolutely But going back to Yerrys Familia Excuse me Yerrys Benitez He The issue that I have here Is a tactical one, Eddie I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you speak on that in a second but I feel as though he shouldn't even have been in the game. Granted, they had the whole talk about what happened with the Orioles game the night before where the closer didn't get used, blah, 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 blah. But if we've seen anything consistently from a Yaris Familia, a.k.a. Yaris Benitez or Armando Familia, whatever Met fans want to call him, we are setting the template right here. I think the issue with him is that he has not been successful in a safe situation in a non-save situation at all this year. All of his non-save appearances have, have been struggle-fest. A lot of his big run outputs that came against him came in non-save scenarios. So if I'm Terry Collins, I'm kind of wondering why was he even in the game? He has shown consistently, even back to the last season, that he's not good in non-save scenarios. So why put him in the game? So that's my question to you. Why even have Yerry's yeah, in the game at that
2: point, Ed? You know what? I, I have to I disagree with you. Ray. I, mean, I get it. You know he has been terrible in non-safe situations. though, but it's not like the Mets had a four-run lead to protect. It was still zero-zero. You know, the you know baseball logic says in a zero-zero game or in a tie game, if you're the home team, you bring in your closer. So I think in that respect, though, I think Terry Collins did the absolute right thing. You know. Um, you, you could have, you know, you could have brought back Addison Reed for a second inning, but he had a stressful eighth inning though. You know, he had the bases loaded, he had to strike out Hunter Pence. You know, it would have been asking for a lot to have him and you know, Addison Reed pick the second inning of work. Eddie, oh.
1: Eddie, I disagree because just like you said, they had the bottom of the order coming up. Why not save Benitez for the tenth inning when you at the top of the order when you have a more better array of pa- patient hitters? They're not a lot of power guys in San Fran. But the guys that they have at the top of their order are very selective, very patient hitting players. I lost my train of thought for a second there. But those guys, you, you got Hunter Pence up there, Buster Posey, I think Pagan is up there. Those guys, you know, they, they pick and choose what they want to do when they're at the play. I would have even Denard span. He had a couple of decent at-bats towards the end of the game. I would have preferred to have Familia against those guys and put another one of my bullpen arms in there to face off against the bottom of the order. Once again, because in low leverage situations, Familia doesn't perform. So I'd rather put him in a situation where he will he'll perform to his best because he, he has the adrenaline pumping. I hear what you're saying about baseball logic, but Met logic says he was going to give up runs. When he came into the game, I didn't feel confident, Eddie. I'm going I'm to keep it 100 with you. And then as soon as that first double was hit, I was like, he's giving up a run. Did I see a three-run home run coming? Absolutely not. But I knew when that double got hit that that, that guy on second place was going to score. I knew it. I knew it, bro. Because everything he, he's done so far in, in his career as a closer has shown that non-save scenarios, He's gonna give up a run.
2: Do you want to know the real reason why the New York uh, the New York Mets lost on Wednesday night? It was because of Curtis Granderson. Curtis
0: Granderson
2: wow. made a spectacular catch in the top of the sixth inning. What is it with New York Mets outfielders making spectacular catches in the playoffs?
0: We don't want to
2: lose. It happened back in 06 with Andy Chavez.
0: Uh-huh.
2: It happened in 2016 with Curtis Granderson. Curtis Granderson is the reason why they lost this game. I'm joking. I kid. I kid. But just going back on what I was talking about earlier in the show, you know, 21 pitches in the first three innings, you know, you could have had him double that. He's out of the game in the seventh inning. It's, it's, it's a completely different ball game for the New York Mets. Um, a couple of days to reflect on everything, you know, they had a great year. I mean, they really did. With all the injuries, I mean, yeah, it's easy for us to say, hey, look at the level of competition that they had. But they still had to go out and win those games. You know, they still had to go out and win those ball games. True. And let's not forget about Noah Syndergaard. He's, he's big top. He's and you know, it's, it's Terry Collins. Whenever I miss this, it's Jacob Degrom who tells Jacob Degrom is starting that wild card game against the San Francisco Giants, not Noah Syndergaard. I mean, it it, 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 didn't, it
1: didn't matter, you know, if, who started. When you looked at when you look at what Thor did, it, I, I think that it wouldn't matter if if Degrom played, whether Harvey pitched, whether Wheeler pitched, we still had to go score against and We weren't going to do that. I'll be right? Did we lose Eddie? You might have lost Eddie right there. But um, uh, to his point. Conventional wisdom says that the Mets had a great year. All things being considered with the injuries, with the expectations, the wheels could have fallen off. Terry Collins did a decent job keeping those guys locked in, keeping those guys' heads in the game to the point where they did what was absolutely necessary to get into the playoffs. Next season. If these, if these pitchers stay healthy, you find a way to bring Yoannis back, the Mets will be right back in the discussion again next season. There's no reason to believe that they will not be in a discussion. So I'm not too mad. Like I said, house money, if we would have won the game and got further into the playoffs, it would have been house money. We were playing minus a lot of players. Congrats to the Mets. I'm disappointed. Don't get me wrong. I'm highly disappointed that we didn't get the job done. But when it's all said and done When it's all said and done We had to do what we had to do And we tried our best We got Eddie back on the line Ed, man what, What's going on, bro? The
2: Wilpons I blame the Wilpons for what just happened <laughs> um, but Like You know, like we were discussing before, uh, before the interruption though. You know, Mets fans The New York Mets had a great year They yeah. did I mean, did we really think they were gonna win a world championship with the injuries? Probably not. Probably. Probably not. Would it have been nice if they would have gone on to the division series against the Cubs? For sure. It would have been nice because you know what? the Mets could compete against the Cubs. Um, would it they
0: would they have beaten the Cubs? No, that's a for
2: You know? You really can't no?
1: say. You know. You know you really can't say in this in this in this scenario because baseball's a fickle game, you know? That's true.
2: Right, but you know what? The, the, Met, the Mets have built a winning culture yes. the last two seasons. And that's what's important, though. They need to continue adding to what they've created the last couple of years. Right. And when I says for this, he's most likely I would say he's 100%, you know, he's going to opt out of his contract. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? So he's probably a top two free agent this off offseason. If, if you didn't New York Mets front office, you need to retire him. You know the Mets. The Mets offense struggles even with the UN assistants. Imagine how dreadful that offense would be without him. They have to resign
1: him. There's a lot of decisions they have
2: to make. True, indeed. You count on David Wright to contribute next season. Yeah, you know? Ed, I'd like to do. Um,
1: I'd like to do this, Ed, because we're, we're running. We're running long on time here. Next Monday, I'd like to have you back on, so we could get into the Mets offseason. where we'd like to see, who we'd like to see move on, and. We could do this one more time for the Mets, just map out the Mets offseason and what needs to be done to get them back to this point a year from now. Can we do that?
0: We can absolutely do that.
1: All right, and until so next time, as always, win or lose, is let's go Mets, bro.
0: Let's go
2: Mets. Thanks for having me on, Ray. Peace. There you have
1: it, ladies and gentlemen, another successful episode of Card Sessions. The Sports Report is in the books. Look out for me Thursday. You already know. Car Sessions, New York City. I'm a completely different animal when it's Car Sessions, New York City. The vibe is something else. For those who've been tuning in, y'all know what time it is when I do Car Sessions, New York City. Uh, Also, I'm going to keep repeating myself. Look out for that new podcast coming on this channel from the homie TJ. You haven't been hearing him on Car Sessions because he's right now constructing his own podcast to bring to you On the Car Session Sports Talk channel Also, the NBA Preview Coming real soon, people I'm going to promo that hard The NBA Preview is coming real soon And I'm going to coincide that With the official release of my iTunes feed So yes, look out for that TJ's new podcast The NBA Preview The iTunes feed I've had it for a little bit, but I've been saving it for a special way to bring it to you guys. And that's how I'm going to do it, attach it to the NBA season. Until next time, y'all, we are out of here. Peace.